The Old Testament lesson for this, the baptism of our Lord, is written in the third chapter of Joshua, beginning at the first verse. Then Joshua arose early in the morning and set out from Shittim. And they came to Jordan, and he and all the people of Israel and lodged there before they passed over. And at the end of three days, the officers went up through the camp and commanded the people, As soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priest, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. The Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they might know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. As for you, command the priest who bear the Ark of the Covenant, that when you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand in the Jordan. And when the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the Ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing. And the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap. So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan, with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, as soon as those bearing the Ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the Ark were dipped in the brink of the water, now the Jordan overflows all of its banks throughout the time of harvest, the waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap, very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zarathon. And those flowing down towards the Sea of the Arabah, the Salt Sea, were completely cut off. And the people passed over opposite Jericho. Now the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. And all Israel was passing over on dry ground until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. The epistle lesson is written in the first letter, the first chapter of St. Paul's first letter to the church at Corinth, beginning at the 26th verse. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no man might boast in the presence of God. He is the source of your life in Christ Jesus, whom God made our wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Therefore, as as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Alleluia. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. Alleluia. 
The Holy Gospel is written in the third chapter of St. Matthew, beginning at the 13th verse. Glory be to thee, O Lord. Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. And John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented, and when Jesus was baptized, he went up immediately from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven came, saying, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. This is the gospel of the Lord. Today we celebrate the baptism of our Lord. It's an event that really doesn't occupy much space in any of the Gospels. It's spoken about in all of them. Matthew, Mark, and Luke each giving an account of what took place. But Matthew's, the longest, is only five verses long. Mark is only three, and Luke only two. And yet, it is important enough to be spoken of in all of them. John, though he does not give us a full account of what actually took place, does give us the testimony of John, what he saw and what he learned concerning this one. And so, it can seem odd to devote an entire Sunday to this day, something that though important enough to be in all of the Gospels, really doesn't occupy much space. It doesn't take up much breadth of the entire Gospels. So why? It is in this account, and especially in Matthew's telling of the event, that we learn much about who this one was who was born of the Virgin Mary. We have walked through the chronicles of the birth of Christ our Lord, walked with Mary and Joseph as they traveled down to Bethlehem, watched as the shepherds heard the song of the angels, heard of the wise men as they traveled from the east to worship the Christ child. Now we have revealed to us not just that this is the Son of God, but what his purpose and work is in coming into this world. He is the righteous one, the one upon whom the Spirit descended. He is the beloved Son, Let us then look at each of these, what they mean concerning the Christ and our life of faith. 
In the beginning of our text, Jesus comes quickly down to the Jordan River. It's very matter-of-factly stated by Matthew. There's no fluff. It's just quickly done. He walks down to the Jordan. And then suddenly, a wall. John would impede Christ from coming down to be baptized by him. I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? The words of John, a stark confession of who this one was who stood before him. For Jesus did not need the baptism which John offered. As Matthew had previously said in this chapter, John's was a message of repentance. Jerusalem and all Judea and the region about the Jordan were going out to him and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. John's was a baptism of repentance and confession. The one who stood before him that day had no need of it. Yet what does the Lord say? Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. To fulfill all righteousness. This is the first great truth we learn concerning the purpose and work of Christ this morning. He has come to fulfill all righteousness and in his baptism in the Jordan River by John, it is the beginning of this. So what does it mean? What does it mean to fulfill all righteousness? Fulfill is actually kind of simple in how it is used. Matthew has used this word many times already in his gospel and all with the same function, to speak of those things which were spoken of in the Old Testament and are now being fulfilled. Used multiple times throughout Matthew's birth account. First, to speak of this one born of the virgin. then the flight into Egypt, and then the Holy Family's eventual move to Nazareth. So it seems that in this baptism, John and Jesus were fulfilling that which had been spoken of previously, that which had been declared by God to take place. So what does it mean that they fulfill all righteousness? What is this righteousness spoken of before and now being fulfilled? Now, certainly righteousness can speak of human conduct in the scriptures, but it seems very much so not to be that way in this place. We're not speaking of the deeds and works of man, for man did not speak and proclaim the coming of the Messiah. Rather, we are speaking of the deeds and works of God. 
For God declared throughout the Old Testament that He would send the Messiah, that the Anointed One would come to crush the head of the serpent, a son of Abraham, of the tribe of Judah, one to sit on the throne of David. Throughout the Old Testament, we hear of the work of God to bring about salvation. This work done in the work of the Christ whom he would send. It is this righteousness fulfilled. This work of God as God brings about salvation for, or on behalf of mankind. So then, why is it done in baptism? Why is it the baptism of Jesus in the Jordan River that fulfills this righteousness, that is the work of God and the beginning of our salvation being brought about? Because this act shows how this righteousness is done. The Lord taking the place of sinners. He who knew no sin would become sin that we might become the righteousness of God. As Luther said in a sermon at the baptism of the son of Prince John of Anhalt, and that Jesus did this in accord with the will of God, the Heavenly Father, who cast all our sins upon him that he might bear them, and not only cleanse us from them through his baptism and make satisfaction for them on the cross, but also clothe us in his holiness and adorn us with his innocence. In walking into the waters to be baptized, our Lord took upon himself our sin and our unrighteousness. In walking into the river Jordan, all that had been placed by those before him, their repentance, their sins, their confession of who they are, he took upon himself. Those sins washed clean in the river Jordan, now placed upon the righteous one, that he who knew no sin would become sin for us. The baptism of Christ points us to the cross, for there is our righteousness found. Not in anything that we do in this life. It is not found in our words and deeds, but rather in the work of Christ, who took our sins upon himself, that they might die with him upon the cross. After this, then, Matthew points our attention to the heavens themselves. And behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. This one who fulfills all righteousness is the one upon whom the Spirit rests. But what does it mean that the Spirit rests upon Christ? Let us look to Isaiah and the very words of John the Baptist himself. God says of his servant in Isaiah chapter 42, 
Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nation. And in Isaiah chapter 61, the servant, the anointed one, says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. In the coming down of the Spirit from heaven, Jesus is declared to be this servant who has come to bring good news, to bind up the brokenhearted, and to free those who are imprisoned and held captive. As Isaiah also says, this is the one who is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. In the same vein, it is this moment, the coming down of the Spirit, that causes John to realize who exactly this one was. As the Baptist says in John chapter 1, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Therefore, John says, that day after Jesus' baptism, he cries out, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The Spirit coming down proclaims to us who this one is. He is the one who will bring about justice for the people of God. He is the suffering servant who will suffer and die for the sins of the people. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And finally, Matthew tells us of the Father's voice, declaring who this one is. This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. The Father speaks in clear and easily understood words. This one who comes up out of the waters upon whom the Spirit descended is the Son of the Father, the very Son of God. It is interesting that though Mark and Luke both say, you are my beloved son, Matthew instead has, this is my beloved son. It is as though Matthew wants to make it very clear that this confession from the Father concerning the Son is not for the sake of Jesus, but rather for the hearer. 
Jesus was not confused concerning who he was, but rather the Father speaking is that we might hear and know who, with no uncertainty who Jesus is. He is the beloved Son. The Son who was given by the Father. Now, one of the only places this phrase, beloved son, is found in the Old Testament Septuagint. The Greek translation of the Old Testament is in Genesis chapter 22, in the sacrifice of Isaac. When God calls Abraham to go to the mountain which he will show him and there sacrifice Isaac his son, God refers to him as the beloved son. Now Abraham takes Isaac, travels and goes to the mountain to which he is shown, and as he is about to sacrifice Isaac, the Lord stops him, providing a ram in the thicket, causing Abraham to name the place the Lord will provide. It is in the baptism of Jesus that we in some ways see a fulfillment of this story. For in Jesus, the Lord provides. He is giving the beloved Son that he might go to the cross to make satisfaction for our sins, to be the lamb of sacrifice that our sins might be atoned for. He is pleased in the work of his son because he did the work which they had set out that man might be brought back to God. Even in this, we have placed before our very eyes the cross of Christ. The baptism of Jesus points us continually to the cross on which which is to come. We see this one who fulfills all righteousness as he takes upon himself our sins. This one upon whom the Spirit descends who would be wounded for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquity. The beloved Son of God given that we might become children of the Heavenly Father. For the Lord's baptism points us to our own. As it points us to the saving work of Christ upon the cross, so too does it point to us those works done in the waters of holy baptism. In these precious and life-giving waters, the merits and works of Christ are made to be our own. His righteousness is made to be your righteousness. You are declared righteous before God that you might once again abide in his presence. My loving Father, thou dost take me to be henceforth thy child and heir. My faithful Savior, thou dost make me the fruit of all thy sorrows share. Thou Holy Ghost wilt comfort me when darkness clouds around I see. We are made children of the Father. All that the Son has is given to us. His righteousness, His innocence, His blessedness. 
The Spirit which descended like a dove is given to us that we might be strengthened when the darkest clouds come upon us. We who are baptized have received the greatest gift won for us, purchased by the blood of Christ. The waters of the Jordan sanctifying all waters of baptism as a life-giving flood which has been poured out for you that you might have life in Christ. In the entire account of the baptism of Christ, we are pointed time and time again to the Holy Cross, to that place where forgiveness is found in Him who died for us. Let us gaze upon our salvation, upon our forgiveness, upon our righteousness. In Jesus' name, amen.